I think it's creating time. Time is yeah. a mass, massive enemy. It's you know flick rates, scrolling through mm-hmm. stuff. You mm-hmm. can you can die in LinkedIn and you know and still not get the quarter of a percent of the amount of useless posts about people's dogs <laughs> having a shit die. in the woods. It's like I mean sometimes LinkedIn does my editing, but it's that thing of going. Let's create quality time. Give yourself permission to do. I mean we're doing this. I've switched my phone off. I've got absolute attention on this. You know yeah. I'm. But imagine sitting having a conversation with someone and they're looking at their phone, looking at their watch, mm-hmm. looking over your shoulder, and it's like, how long we got left? It, yeah. They're not giving the, the the quality of time. And I think, for me, we can make as much money as we want. We can do as many things as we want. It's up to us. But mm-hmm. we only have eight to ten good quality hours in a day. Where we're awake enough to make best use of it mm-hmm. and enjoy it. And I think people don't recognize that that finite resource is the most valuable commodity we've got. Welcome to Business on a Beanbag, where we take a lighthearted dive into the business and marketing world. Join us on our journey as we share stories, insights, and not forgetting the contents of our guests' search history. Welcome to another episode of Business on a Beanbag. This week, I am joined by Thomas. Hello. And I am joined by the very wonderful Lawrence Duncan. Morning. How are you? Very good, thank you. Yeah, yeah. I'm very well. How are we all? We all have good mornings. I'm super excited to get Lawrence on, to be honest. <laughs> it's guess, been a long time coming. It has <laughs> been. You. It's been weeks and weeks and weeks, if not months, trying to get him on. Um, <laughs> but for those that don't know, uh, Lawrence is a business coach extraordinaire uh, with lots of experience, lots of funny tales, lots of uh, golden nuggets of wisdom to share. So we're hoping that today's conversation is no different because every time I've seen Lawrence speak, there's always been something golden. There's always some, something really, really good. So I'm hoping you can whip it out of the bag again today for us. No pressure then. No, no, no not all. at all. Yeah. How much preparation have you done for today? Um, uh, s- several seconds at <laughs> least. <laughs> As he walked through the door. <laughs> so do you want to give the listeners just a little bit of a dive into you know, who you are, you know, where you've come from, what you do? Yeah, no problem. So, uh, Lawrence Duncan, I've been, uh, I've had a varied and checkered background. I left home quite early on when I was 16, joined the Merchant Navy very young. And I think that sort of tailored me from a point of view of a no-nonsense approach to life in general. Um, And then did a lot of traveling when I was younger, left the Merchant Navy, did a lot of traveling um, after my degree. And then um, it was a really, really interesting, exciting, varied life. Every day you woke up in the morning and there was something different. One day you were looking out at Woolaroo. Next minute you were swimming in the sea. Next minute you were driving across America. And then I became a chartered accountant with Price Waterhouse. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not saying the fun tap turned off, but man, what a different life. The flow of water was definitely slower. <laughs> Absolutely. And the interesting people paddling the boat with you. Sorry, I used the word interesting. The people <laughs> paddling the boat with you were completely different than I'd, than I'd been used to. So I went from a very sort of structured, disciplined, on-the-edge life through the travelling, which helped me relax and sort of, I don't know, get life into perspective. And mm-hmm. then I had a very structured um, uh, time at Pricewaterhouse where it was 
very corporate. You know, they were not recruiting people because they had brown shoes on and things like that. So there were there were all sorts of hidden rules that I was completely unaware of. Um, and that sort of helped me be a bit more politically savvy. Um, obviously, I realised that I wasn't um, I wasn't anything special in comparison to the incredible people that were there intellectually and experience-wise. So it was a case of a bit of humble pie and fitting in and all that sort of stuff. But the leadership stuff that I'd learned in the Merchant Navy and the sort of generally what's the worst that could go wrong laid-back approach of travelling helped me with that. Um, went through Pricewaterhouse, got qualified, Went into corporates, worked at Boots for a while, and then um, uh, a few different business, a few different industries, and a few different businesses. And my biggest proper job, I guess, I had a thousand people, engine, remote engineers, reported into me, uh, not specifically me, but the team. And then I did, uh, I had the brain fart. I had the the e myth, you know, the entrepreneur myth, and uh, I started a business selling wind turbines to farmers. Uh, I knew okay. nothing about wind turbines. I knew nothing about farming. <laughs> I knew for a fact that farmers didn't have any money, so how the bloody hell are they going to buy wind turbines <laughs> anyway? And um, that that went that sort of limped through. We did okay for a while, but oh. fundamentally the business model was was completely wrong. And I didn't know about business coaching at that time. If I'd had someone to speak with and 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 sort of lean on and just sense check. It was just like the blind leading the blind every day. Every day yeah. was like a either Groundhog Day or, wow, we've never done this before. You know, let's invent it for ourselves. Yeah. I had no idea of the resource that was out there to help people. Um, then I went into renewables and the government, um, sorry, solar, and then the government torpedoed that with the removal of the grandfather rights and fundamentally lost a lot of money and then discovered, my wife actually heard a, a chap talking and said, this bloke sounds just like you. And I was like, <laughs> Uh, okay, what, what's this? What's this? Business coaching, action coach. Went for the first day. As soon as I was in that room, I realised that the thing that I I didn't know I was looking for it, but I found it. Yeah, and it was wow. Um, and then I went through a massive amount of obviously I'm a chartered accountant. I understand business and all that. Mm-hmm. Uh-uh, completely <laughs> wrong. I had the arrogance that most business owners and senior business leaders have. Uh, and the reality was I had to reinvent myself. I had to go back to the drawing board and invest massive amounts of time and effort. I had imposter syndrome for about three years. Mm-hmm. Luckily, another coach helped me with that and said, look, as an individual with your personality and as you know, with your chartered accountancy, you can improve other businesses without being a coach, just be yourself, which was a ma- And I use that advice now when I'm exec coaching, just be yourself. Stop trying to be something that you're not mm-hmm. um, because people will see through you. Um, and then over time I evolved, I evolved. Action coach was incredibly um, content rich and they threw a lot of information at you and the next big thing, the next big thing, the next big thing. And I, I guess I was about five or six years in and I suddenly thought to myself, this isn't doing me any good and my clients any good. So I thought, I only half know the stuff that I've learned and I've forgotten more than I know now. So I went back, consolidated all the learnings and I produced my own coaching journey, which I know works. Um, and it's definitely focused on the key elements of the mechanics of building a business but it's also the mechanics of mindset, the mechanics of life after the business, understanding self-worth, giving yourself permission, all of those things. And it's all about, I, my the focus was always on the business owner or the client, but then it actually doubled down on that. Mm-hmm. And it became about, I coach you, Fred, Bill, Wilma, whatever, as an individual, 
and your business fits into your life. And once yeah. I really got that, I was able to almost improve all of the techniques. And so, you know, I've, my, my longest cert client now is coming into eight years. Um, and I think I've got a bit of a reputation of the sort of no nonsense kind of get things done, yep. but absolutely with a sense of humor and with their best interest at heart. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you wanted a potted history in four <laughs> seconds. So as usual, you got it in twenty five minutes. <laughs> Do you think that um, like teaching and coaching has helped you understand business and how to build a business on a slightly different level? Because to teach something, you have to have a slightly different understanding of the topic that you're talking about. Hundred percent. It was the the mechanics of a business are actually reasonably simple. You know, you can go through marketing you can go through sales you can go through account management you can go through new product development you can go through operations team engagement team training all of that efficiency measures you can go through kpi suites you can go through coalescing a team to deliver systemization and actually once you see the the you know the framework of how a good business works brilliant but there's a massive difference between understanding it and then applying it and yeah. applying it in a way that suits the superpower of the individual that I'm working with. So for example, if you've got a sales led individual, his approach to that framework is going to be massively different to an accountant or an engineer or, you know, someone who's come up from a different route. Um, don't forget a lot of businesses start on a kitchen table and, mm -hmm. you know, it could be a housewife or a, or a, a semi retiree who started business. Again, everybody's, journey towards or fitting into that framework is different and it's yeah. about recognizing a lot of coaches work on people's weaknesses where do we need to focus to improve that my view is play to your strengths and resource the weakness mm -hmm. you know buy resource in you can never ever build a successful business by running on your own anyway yeah. so why wouldn't you empower people to do the stuff you're weak at learn with them hopefully they'll far exceed you your superpowers are the one that drive hopefully the revenue or the quality delivery or whatever. Then over time, you then resource underneath you and, and you move on. So yes, it helps me understand business, but the key thing is understanding two other things, the emotions and feelings of the person that you're working with yeah. and actually what the hell do they want? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I coach a lot of people to exit and freedom. And I spend probably 18 months before we get to a point of exit and freedom and exit and freedom can be selling the business or just getting it wrong without you actually talking about how they're going to feel beyond that. Cause their mm. feeling of worth, they've been in the business 20, 25 years. It's everything. And yeah. weirdly enough, people mentally stand up when they walk in the door, there's a boss, yeah. you know, they've revered. It's like, oh, there's, and they're, there's someone, aren't they? They're like, yeah. there's a bit of swagger in there. And all of a sudden what you're saying is, do you know all that stuff that makes you feel brilliant? <laughs> don't do it anymore. <laughs> and it's like, why would I give up all that? And the reality is that it's only because most of their life is dominated by that. You take kids away from, from people, you take dogs away from people, you take the odd sport away from people. What's left. Yeah. yeah. Usually a desert. Yeah. And so what it is, it's about going, come on, what is it you really, really would like to achieve? Sit with the family, sit with your friends. You know, I, I call it a solar system. And if you can imagine that your own solar system, how many planets are in that solar system? And by a planet, I mean that's something you want to do, achieve, be good at, have success at or whatever. And what are the size of those planets? You know, time invested, what it, what it means to you. 
And sometimes people look out of that that solar system and there's hardly anything in mm. there. There's one little <laughs> one little planet floating around on its own. And it's my job to go almost to make your existing a pesky nuisance. Like, let's get rid of it. I'm waving my hand behind my back now. But it's that thing of going, I need to move on to something. My business is running itself. It's worth something. It's growing on its own. Yes, I can add value to it by maybe working at a higher a higher level than the business has ever worked so stronger relationships leveraged relationships you know becoming a face in your industry it's most businesses have never got somebody doing that but the the other side of it is going giving yourself permission to play golf giving yourself mm -hmm. permission to sail to walk to to do nothing walk around in the in the house in your ball bags you know that sort of <laughs> stuff and just enjoy life and so few people recognize that having the mental capacity to give yourself that permission is is really, really important. Because mm, I used mm. to work just on giving people the time. So I'm forcing you to have Friday off. Yeah. Why are you working again? Why are you working? And, you know, it's that thing, communication to response you receive. And I'm thinking, I'm sure I'm communicating the right thing. But then it was going into the deeper understanding of why they insisted on working even though they didn't. Because, client, because because there's no purpose to mm. them having that day off. So a client of mine rang me up one day and said, Lawrence, I'm at work and I don't know why I'm here. <laughs> and I was like, well, <laughs> what are you doing there? He says, I really don't know. I've got up in the car. I've got in the car and I've driven to work. And because of the work we've done, I haven't got anything to do. Yeah, yeah. So it was a case of not just saying, well, go home. It was a case of, right, you know, let's get on Zoom, let's have a chat. And we started really exploring all And what it did, it brought it to life for the first time. It wasn't just words coming from me or, you know, a discussion. He was like, I get it now. I see what you mean. And so that was the start of him creating a whole load of new planets in his solar system and moving towards them. This is why I love and hate talking to you at the same time because like you've literally just described me. <laughs> well, you strip out the kids, strip out the dogs, strip out the wife. What have you got left? I just keep salary. adding businesses to, to my portfolio because I don't know what else to do. If you strip all that back, you just sat in the corner rocking, crying. Pretty much. <laughs> it's like Baron Von Trapp of the business world. Instead of children, it's businesses. Come on, businesses, let's go. It's the guilt. It's the guilt of not doing anything is what gets me if i've got yeah. a saturday off or saturday with the children if i'm not looking at my phone or emails i literally hammer myself like well, you need to work you need to work you need to work yeah and like do you know how unusual you are not at all mm -hmm. most people feel like that that are in business why because funnily enough confidence comes from being good at something and so people get confident in business because they're getting better and better at it. They've learned they're applying it. And every day, every week, every month, they're having success. And so what it becomes is it becomes part of your habit. It becomes part of your culture. It, it's in you. And, you know, when you do, we do a thing called a identity iceberg, which is all about beliefs and skills and behaviors and values and mm -hmm. things like that. Your business is a core part of your family, your personal, you know, it becomes a part of you. And splitting yourself off from that realizing that actually the business is a saleable entity just like your house yeah. you know the value of your business can go up or down folks <laughs> um and it's like you know when you start recognizing that that's why i create rather i used to drag people away from it but now what i do is create so much interest in something else mm -hmm. that actually they want to move to the next level yeah obviously reinforcing the business, all the good stuff about that. But it's about that journey of going, you know, 
as I say, making the future more interesting and more yeah. appealing than the current. What do you do when you're sort of dealing with someone that has a little bit of resistance to giving up a little bit of that control? Because I think, like you said, business owners like to have that feeling of I'm doing something, I'm part of something, I'm respected when I walk in. The minute they let that go, they lose you know, a little bit about themselves, a little chunk disappears. And when you strip it all back, like you said, there's not much left in their solar system and they're hesitant to let that go. How do you deal with that and, and, and getting that individual to see the worth of actually filling your solar system with different planets and things how do you go about that it's probably the easiest thing because so if i say to you what do i want for christmas mm. you're gonna say what what yeah you don't know do you <laughs> you don't know what i want for christmas do you no. yeah so how would you find out um i'd ask you what you want for christmas how weird's that <laughs> and sure. then you would find out and you'd get me what i want yeah yeah so I just sit with a barrage of questions over time, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and some of them are pointed, some of them are leading, but most are fairly open. And okay. it goes right back to basics. What do you enjoy? What do you like? What turns you on? What excites you? What are you good at? Because most people, I've never met anyone in the world who's absolutely brilliant at something they're rubbish at. Most <laughs> people good at stuff they like. Yeah. So if yeah. they like stuff, they're good at it, and if they're good at it, they like it. So it's about going... Okay, so what is it? Let's go back through your life. Mm -hmm. When you were a teenager, what excited? And the stuff that comes out. Oh, I went skiing once when I was 18. I loved it. Why have you never been again? Oh, I don't know. I just never bothered. Or, you know, I've always wanted to watch Tigers all season. Or mm -hmm. some some guy um, wanted to follow a rock band around Europe and stuff like that. And it's like, okay. I've never, a MotoGP, you know, following that yeah, around really. the world. And it's like, it's a dream, mine, but it'll never happen. Okay, why won't it happen? Because I can't give myself permission to dedicate the resource, the time, and the personal freedom to doing it. And that's mm -hmm. where it starts to come from. It mm -hmm. absolutely mm -hmm. comes from the person. So it's just a case of, don't forget, a coach relationship is incredibly unique because people will start a business and they'll go home and they'll go, hey, up, love, we signed this this week. I oh, are great, you know, and Charlie's come in and he's done this and blah, blah, blah. And over time, it's like when there's five Charlies and 15 new bits of business, wife's going, okay, have you got anything else to talk about? And and, yeah. and so what we, I come in as a coach and I genuinely am interested in all of these small wins, big wins, you know, and so I'm the, and all their mates are born. nearly swore. Oh, so all the mates, oh dear, <laughs> all, the, all, all the mates aboard shitless of listening to them go on and on and on about the business, and actually, it can have a massive negative effect. I'm sure there's a lot of business owners out there that can absolutely empathize with, with that of seeing themselves. Nobody, nobody in the world's that interested in their business anymore, and their team and staff nod politely, but then it's like, you know, I've got stuff to do, so yeah. um. So that relationship sits there and it's about sort of using that time. We've become very much trusted advisors. We get close. You know, a lot of my clients would be very good friends if I allowed it to happen yeah, because, yeah. but you can't have the challenge and the, you know, you can have as much sport you want, but you become a completely ineffective coach. So you've got to have the challenge and lay down the law. Um, but, so it's about using that time to effectively dig and dig and dig and dig and dig. And I think it's, it is a unique relationship with most business owners and they don't have anyone to talk to. I was told mm -hmm. when I first started being a leader is a lonely place. And 
you read a lot of books that say that exactly the same thing. You read a lot of other books that say, actually, that's not true. It doesn't have to be if you create a leadership team and you're part of that team rather than leading it. But anyway, back to the original point is, I think the time spent on a one-to-one asking great questions, that's how you get a deep understanding of what people want. And then it becomes like any, you know, any, any journey, you sort of, you know what you're aiming for. So you then start building a, a plan to get there. What do you think a great leader looks like? What does it take to be a great leader? You know, is it something that you can learn? Is it something that's just within you? Is it something you can develop? Fat, bald from Redka. <laughs> <laughs> that's me, by the way, chaps. Um, I don't think there's one size fits all. I think it's very much, you know, there's a few little analogies I use. When, when have you ever jumped in a taxi and just sat there? Mm-hmm. Because if you don't know where you're going, the taxi driver doesn't know. So part of our life is geared up to actually defining a destination and getting ourselves there. And I think strong leaders do that naturally. They create – I work with a lot of corporates as well. And Mm -hmm. how many times do I hear, what's what's your vision for the business? We're going to have a £125 million business. Right. So I'm sure that the 150 staff in the business get up every morning to go, do you know what? That multimillionaire shareholder that lives in the States, I want to make him richer today. So I'm going to go to work and go the extra mile. That just doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. So good leaders are able to translate. They're able to create something that means something to the people that are in the organization delivering it. When you read a book, Measure What Matters, that talks about you know, a single unifying, um, a single unifying statement or measure that people can get behind, but it means something because it might be a world first. It might be dominant in your area. It might be just something that satisfies a collective belief. And I think in Measure What Matters, it's been a while, but I think they were talking about a billion watched hours a day on YouTube and 60,000 people actually focus themselves you know when you talk to nasa the guy who's doing the toilet who's cleaning the toilet the old story of going what are you doing i'm putting a man on the moon and that good leadership is about creating a single unifying in the language of the business that's there i worked on a car transport company once and we talked about um you know what we could achieve what we could achieve and then their language was car movements so it was, mm. well, if we did a million car movements a year and all of a sudden the energy in the room just lifted, it was like, what could we do to deliver a million cars in a year? Wow, that would be an amazing achievement. Outside of that room, it probably wouldn't have meant anything to anybody. Mm. But inside the room, it it brought the energy alive, mm-hmm. it coalesced them and it focused them. And all of a sudden it was translating into actions that they could take on the ground to deliver. So I think one facet of leadership is absolute clarity of direction and where you're heading. I think the second facet of leadership is building that team and engaging them, getting out of their way, enabling them to deliver, allowing them to make mistakes, creating a safe place for people to be able to, you know, do what they need to do and sometimes fall down. And, you know, robust measures in place to be able to do that are key. So when you've got the opportunity to celebrate success, when you've got a team that's actually coalesced, understands what they're hoping to deliver, and then absolute clarity on where the business is going. I call them three legs to an unwobbleable stool. You know, that is when you get good leadership, I think. So you, you touched on mindset um, a little while back and uh, you mentioned it this morning as well. We're all in a, a little meeting together. And I think that's one of the biggest things I've learned from you. I mean, spent quite a bit of time with you over the years is um, you can only control what you can control. Um, so we had a day the other day where a bit of a kit got broken, client wasn't happy, um, 
what else happened. The process we thought we'd put in place wasn't in place. Like everything was going wrong. And someone said to me, like, why are you not annoyed? <laughs> because if I'm annoyed, I'm not going to be as focused and be able to sort out the problems as opposed to just sit there and get annoyed for the rest of the day and go probably have a couple of beers and then waste everything. Mm-hmm. And I think you, you mentioned this morning by choosing how you feel is, is such a, a massive shift for me. Yeah. Do you want to explore? And- yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, Victor Henkel talks about the one inalienable truth, you know, the freedom is how you've got the freedom to feel how you want to feel. Um, it annoys the crap out of my wife. You know, I use, why are you choosing to feel like that? Stop saying that. <laughs> this is how I feel. Yeah. You're choosing to feel like that. And what, and it's interesting because people will go, no, all of this stuff's happened. Well, it's about interpretation. I use a little story when I'm coaching about, I used when I, everybody, you know, probably went through this, you get cut up, you're driving in traffic or you cut someone up by mistake and, the other the guy in the other car goes nuts. And then when you see two people going at it, they're effing and jeffing and flicking the Vs and oh, I'm going to rip your throat you out. Know, and all that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm Ronnie My car's two years younger than yours. Fuck off. And all this sort of stuff. Well, when you actually go, how much are they taking on of that anger in the rest of the day? So they go mm-hmm. in the office, they twat, tr- cut me up, you know, go over lunch. They're still going on about it. In the evening, they're like almost sat on the road looking for the person <laughs> again to see him. Go on, first conversation with the wife. How was your day, dear? Oh, this twat cut me up on the road to, on the way to work. And it's like, he's a complete stranger, no influence in your life at all. And yet you're allowing or choosing to feel anger and all that. And this, it's like, it builds up. Multiple days of stress. I said this morning that the difference between pressure and stress is just stress is a physical manifestation of pressure. Well, the reality is if you keep, keep, keep getting stressed and angry all the time, you're going to end up with issues. You know, it's um, physical health is directly related to, to that perception of pressure. So if you choose to feel pity, so the guy cuts you up or you cut someone up and he's going nuts and you think, oh, mate, I feel really sorry for you. If this is enough to get you angry, I feel sorry for you, your family, the people you work with. You must have a really awful life. Mm. And all of a sudden you feel serenely calm and a little more, actually, you feel a little sort of, you know. Noble. Yeah, noble. (laughs) Great word. Yeah, you feel a bit superior. Yeah. But it's only because I've trained myself to think in that way. And, you know, your behavior to those negatives is absolutely right. As a leader, you've got to set the tone. It's not about leading in good times is easy peasy peasy. You sit and watch it happen. Leading in bad times, how you know how you respond is absolutely imperative. And negative behavior at work, and a lot of people are too scared to address it. But you get the behavior that you accept. Yeah. And if you keep accepting negative behavior or lack of engagement or letting it get away with it, Radical Candor by Kim Scott's a brilliant book that sort of goes through the consequences of accepting that sort of stuff. And so you know. The things that come at you, it's training your mind to be able to take that into into context. What's the worst that could go wrong? So it's something that's go wrong. Oh, boo-hoo, first world problems and all this. And once you start belittling those issues, suddenly they don't really matter that much. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so, again, that's an example of being able to manage your emotions. You can dictate how you feel. And I was saying this morning, you know, there's positive affirmations, IVVMs, all this, you know, practicing gratitude, thinking of the top 10 things in your life that make you really, really happy. And all of a sudden you can't help it. 
Yeah. Your, your brain's wired to feel better yeah. and your emotions are managed. Um, another really interesting thing in business is that many, many businesses I coach now have got the sort of the legacy command and control, the people who were commanded and controlled, you know, in the old days when they were coming through and mm -hmm. there's still quite a lot of that that goes on. Right. And I do that example of going, you know, why did you do that? When people use that at work, mm. why straight away, as we were growing up, who uses why? Policemen, mm. teachers, parents. Put you on a back foot. You're mm. always mm -hmm. going to be. Mm -hmm. And then why did you do that? Absolute blame. So the negative emotions yeah. massively going to, you know, come out. And it's how much, how much use is that? None. It's just mm -hmm. a form mm -hmm. of command and control, a form of bullying. Whereas if you actually change it to going something like, what can we do differently to make sure this doesn't happen again. There's an acceptance that there's the wrong thing, but all of a sudden you're folding it forward and being a collaborative member of either two people or a group that says, what can we do differently? Collaborative, do differently. Your behavior's got to change yeah. to get a different result yeah. focused on the output. Three key things in that tiny, tiny statement that actually you mentioned, you asked me what a great leader looks mm -hmm. like. That's an example of a tool a great leader could use in order to just go, right, okay, let's learn from what's happened. Yeah. Obviously, if it happens repeatedly, then you've got to take slightly more direct action. But in, in as, a, as a development tool, getting people to think about how they can improve. And obviously, not invented here is a huge thing in the, in the, in the psyche of individuals. So if they're, if they're engaged or involved in actually producing a solution that actually is more effective or a system and process that's more mm -hmm. effective than the one that's gone wrong, they own it. Mm -hmm. They're part of it. And all of a sudden, do you know what? The, the, their, their affiliation and engagement with the business just goes up one notch, one notch, and you only need 1%, 2%, 3%, and then the momentum. It's like a snowball on a hill, yeah. if there's any yeah. other snow, obviously. Um, <laughs> and it just gains momentum and then, then drives forward. Yeah. So I think people have a lot more control over their emotions than they lead themselves to believe. Because the, the brain is, is essentially like a muscle, isn't it? If you don't train it to sort of practice gratitude and, and to think differently and to be positive and exercise control, then your brain just becomes programmed to constantly snowball these negative emotions, these negative outlooks, and it just becomes routine. You wake up in the morning, the first thing you do is have a negative thought. Mm. You start exercising a little bit more control. Like your thoughts are not who you are. They're not, not technically real. You know, we can control them. I think that's really interesting that, yeah, that it, it's, it's hard, it's difficult. I think exercising some control of your emotion can have huge, huge impact. Interest in perception, it's hard and difficult. Mm. Okay. I quite like to translate really sort of, I don't know, bigger concepts into simple activity mm -hmm. to mm -hmm. make it work. So if you tried saying my pillow, well, as soon as you wake up in the morning, my pillow is really comfortable. Mm -hmm. Okay. Firstly, how many people in the world are waking up without a pillow? Mm. billions and billions of people so the fact you've got a pillow is massively positive yeah. so how comfy is my pillow how comfy is this duvet again same thing you've got yeah, a big yeah. duvet lots of people haven't and all of a sudden it's like they're really this is a really comfy bed and if it isn't get a different bleeding mattress <laughs> but it's a really comfy bed if you're lucky enough to wake up next to a partner that you love you know then it's like oh wow you know mm. i've taken and i'm blessed with this relationship mm -hmm. it's raining outside or it's cold mm -hmm. What about the fact that we're in the warm yeah, while it's raining and cold yeah. outside? How again, how many billions of the servicemen sitting on the streets who haven't got homes and stuff like that are waking up in cardboard boxes? 
And we're waking up going, feel a bit crap about this. Yeah. The reality is if you practice gratitude, there's a book mm -hmm. called The Secret that talks about gratitude all the time. And I'm sure mo loads of people have read it. If you haven't, give it a go. But, you know, and you go through that process. I tell you what, you cannot help by the time you get out and put your mm -hmm. put your feet in your little slippers and all this sort of stuff and you put your silk negligee on Adam I've seen <laughs> you wearing it through my curtains. <laughs> <laughs> but by the time you stand up you will feel positive because if you've gone through that list of the people around you the warmth yeah. the, you know the environment that you're in it doesn't matter that it's not a mansion and you like a bigger house the fact that there's you are absolutely in the top you know five ten percent in the world of being able to have something mm -hmm. comfortable mm -hmm. and cozy yeah. to wake up in but you can't help with your synapses. I mean, when you go into brains and stuff, I've done a, quite a lot of stuff with that, but way beyond my pay grade. But I just know that, you know, it rewires itself to yeah. recognise positive. Yeah. And yeah. over time, it's that thing of, you know, every action you take is a vote for your future self sort of thing. Yeah. If yeah. you take the action to feel positive, you will be more positive. Yeah. And again, back to good leadership, who likes to be around people that are negative? Not many folk. No, no. So that positivity and that upness, if that's even a word, that is one of the key elements yeah. to leadership as well. I think what I meant by hard or difficult is, is is identifying that in the first place. You know, being aware that you need to start changing your thought process and mm. your mindset. I think that's the difficult thing for a lot of people. But I think you are absolutely right. Like, who wants to be in a room full of miserable assholes? <laughs> like, nobody. You feed off the energy that's around you. You know, if anyone is anything like me, if I'm in a room full of people that like that, that are, that are nervous, miserable, negative, I'll feed off of that. And that'll then affect me and, and how I interact with those people. You know, if someone's happy, jolly, outgoing, and they're, they're enthusiastic, then you feed off that in turn. And I think great leadership is being able to sort of, you know, present that to other people to get them, yeah, onto your level. I think the people I admire the most, my natural reaction to a room like that is I, I don't need these people in my life. Mm -hmm. And it's like I either sort of attack through sarcasm or negativity or whatever, yeah. or I'm overtly jolly just to piss them off. That's <laughs> <laughs> always the best way. <laughs> but fundamentally, their relationship with me, in my view, is not as strong as it could be. The people I admire the, the most are the people who actually recognise that those people probably need a bit of help and support absolutely, and, yeah, yeah. and don't do what I do, but actually then step into that sphere and maybe, mm -hmm. I don't know, seek to understand yeah. why people are pissed off. You know, it yeah. depends what kind of group it is, but it's that thing of taking the time to, and then lifting them gradually, Yeah, you know, and you can share yeah. with, like you said the earlier, you can teach people, but unless they understand, yeah. then why the hell would I bother with that sort of yeah. thing? So, yeah. I think the minute we start to accept or understand the fact that everybody has a story, everyone has something going on. And you know, sometimes when people talk to each other and there's there's a little bit of venom there or th there's something that's not very pleasant and you sort of think you don't know what is going on behind the closed doors that you're not privy to. And if we all took a second just to think before we speak, mm. <laughs> I think that would be huge. And just share a bit of compassion. So my wife always... Uh, She's going to laugh at me for mentioning it again. But her sort of ethos, and I think a lot of people have had it's quite common, is in a world where you can be anything, be kind. Mm. And I just think if we all adopted a little bit of that, yeah, I like that. it yeah. would be a nicer place. Yeah. 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 I mean, that that seek to understand seven habits of highly effective people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That, for me, is a mantra that I, I live with. But I like that. I'm going to mm. take that one. Seek to yeah. be kind. It's nice. It's just soft and meaningful. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. like it. But like you say, you know, if everyone was kind... Exactly. Everyone in the world was kind. What a different place we'd be. Could you imagine? Do you have a do you have a coach? 
Uh, I used to have a coach when I was an action coach, but at the moment I don't have a coach. No. Having said that, I learn a hell of a lot from my clients. I'm often going, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> so yeah. because they, a lot of my clients read a lot, uh-huh. and they uh-huh. often read stuff that I haven't read. One of them, the mantras is, you know, if your client's reading a book, you need to read it first. It's like. Whew. When you've got when, you, when you've got seventeen guys all reading different books, and it's like, oh, I've read a lot of them before, but not any, and they listen to pod. A lot of them are sort of junkies for podcasts yeah. and yeah, and yeah. all that and learning. So actually, although they're not coaching me, the knowledge base is quite always, good. Yeah. yeah, and you know, Tom presented this morning on different aspects of marketing and software developments that weren't there two or three years ago. Technology that is now AI being one of it and all that sort of mm-hmm. stuff, and it's like. You look at it and you think, oh, I need to up my game in that <laughs> yeah. sphere because I'm falling behind. And it's not, I don't need to know what it, how it does what it does. I just need to do the black box approach and yeah. go, I need to know what it can deliver. Yeah. What Tom didn't tell you this morning is that presentation was entirely put together by AI. I wish it was. It took me hours to do. <laughs> you should have put it with AI. I should have. Mission of tricks. You're still up there preaching about the benefits of AI. You didn't even use it. Well, I, re- I spent a lot of time researching on YouTube how to do all the animations and stuff. Mm-hmm. To be fair. And he didn't spell check it. Was he's got it? I A. What's that? <laughs> it's, it's a new platform we should look at. <laughs> Intelligent arsehole. <laughs> so, and he um, spelled Chloe wrong. Oh well. I don't know. tell her. Oh no, no she's going to know. Oh, sorry, man. sorry, Collie. Collie. <laughs> I've heard that. <laughs> I'll tell her that later as well. Um, so with, with the coaching business then, you said you've sort of created a bit of a formula you know that works. Mm. Who does it work for? What are the similarities between the sort of people you're working with? Um, the business build framework works, absolutely. And so someone who's looking to take their business forward to the next level, gain the freedom, all the normal things about building a business that's worth something without you. And, you know, I'm sure I'm preaching to converted here, but the multiplier effect is massively impacted by independence of the business owner, you know, the ability of the team to deliver on their own uh, contractual income streams, all that sort of stuff. So there's little, there's little markers and structures that make a business healthy, wealthy, capable of surviving without you. Um, so that that structure works, but again, the the bit that that I think adds more value is the unstructured bit. But again, that always starts with I can't really describe it. It's it's a it's a real need to to understand. I used to take an answer and move on. Mm. Now I take an answer and dig and dig and dig and get a bit of an understanding and go for the pain. Digging questions are incredibly powerful, and that sort of is, I suppose, having had. 40 years of experience in business i pull from all sorts of different you know the chart accountancy the being at sea the traveling the various organizations i've worked for the failure of my own business that sort of stuff and i I pull threads from all sorts of different sources to be able to try and get people to think and the key thing is a lot of people think coaching is about having all the answers it's absolutely not yeah coaching is about asking great questions but then trying to convert the outputs into actions because it's really good to make people feel great and have a chat with them and oh, that was a great chat but i don't get paid mm. for people to feel good i get paid for people to get results yeah and if it's a if it's a corporate then they want to get up the corporate ladder 
you know, they want to achieve their results with do, by doing less and less so they can focus on the next level. If it's a business owner, then it's about gaining freedom. And I don't mean freedom to sell. I mean freedom to sell if they want, yeah. but freedom to start other businesses using what they've learned and all that sort of stuff. Excuse me. <clears throat> so, yeah, it's it's the formula works for a certain type of business owner going through a certain type of journey. The rest of it, I think, has evolved over time and coalesced from different, you know, um, sources, books, podcasts, personal experience and that sort of stuff. Other other journeys, really. That's brilliant. And if, um, so I suppose it's one question I've always wondered is I'm very much built to sell. Mm. From, from having spent, again, so much time with you, someone asked me the other day, why why do you do it all? What's what's the point? And I'm, I want the businesses to run without me. And one of my friends has done that. And I'm so in awe of him that he's like, I'm, I'm earning a great amount of money. Business runs. I don't need to be there. It's brilliant. But what, what would you say to a business owner that kind of, they understand the need to do that. They want to do that, but they're like, well, I can't employ more people. The business is kind of stagnant. I don't, I don't know where to start. What, what would you do? Okay. Well, I'll go back to you first. Your personal drivers are different to your end game drivers. You started businesses for your own personal reasons, which you and I have discussed in the past, which yep. I won't put on here. <laughs> <laughs> so your drivers are slightly different, and I think you're going over a tipping point where I don't think your driver is still to create businesses that operate without you just yet. I think there is a a desire for you to create businesses and to you know, be successful in your own right or be seen as successful, and then it's moving on to that next level of going, that's the reality. So... Then the second part of the question was, what do you say to business owners who stagnated? Yeah, I think business owners who stagnated, there's a couple of things you can do. The basic SWOT analysis, you know, what are the, what are the issues in your business? What's standing in your way? Um, we draw a, 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 a diagram where there's a bloke stood in front of a big hull and the hull's in front of a big mountain. You've seen it and there's a flag on the mountain. Yeah. So you can do all of the discussion you want about going, there's the vision that the flag on the mountains where we want to be. But that hull is, we don't know how deep it is, how wide it is and what's at the bottom of it. Cause it's dark and scary and making oozy noises. <laughs> so you've really got to explore and be brave and go back into it and go, okay, what is the reason the business is stagnated? And, you know, Adam used an expression. You've got to realize I use the, I put my hand up and go, I am Lawrence. I'm an alcoholic. And that's 90% of the way to addressing alcoholism if a business owner is really honest and we sit there for a while talking about who he is how he behaves you will tend to find that most of the issues from a stalled business are actually down to the business owner he's grown a business on force of personality he's done what he's done well he knows what he knows but he doesn't know what he doesn't know and his team unfortunately have only grown to the level of his knowledge and he will probably be a command and control kind of individual. So sitting there and going through all of the ways that the business owner needs to change and improve, what the knock-on effect of his into his business will be, will then suddenly go, ah, okay. Yeah. So systems and process, clarity on vision, mission statement, values, pro you know, the the numbers at all different levels, empowering people to get on with it rather than basically restricting them a lot i describe a lot of business owners like the cork in the top of the bottle the bottle swelling and buzzing oh sorry <laughs> swelling and buzzing underneath 
you know, and it's frothing and it's like wet and there's a business owner sat wedged right in the top just <laughs> yeah. going, no, 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 it's not <laughs> happening without me. But then they feel massive amounts of stress, yeah. negativity. And how many times have I heard, oh, I'm just going to hand the keys in. Mm. Wow. 30 years of your life and you're going to hand the keys in. And you've got a team of maybe five or six individuals who basically have given 5, 10, 15, 20 years to you. And a lot of them have worked with you because of loyalty mm -hmm. and all this sort of stuff. Yeah. And you're just going to bin all that. Yeah. And that that's really sad. That makes me sad. Mm. But yeah, so usually it's the business owner self-examining because you tend to find that high quality, well-developed, knowledgeable, empowering, you know, clarity of leadership business owners never get to that position. Yeah, that makes sense. Mm. How much loyalty do you think is in the world right now? How, how big of a thing do you think loyalty is? I think it's ooh, it's a great question because it's situational, I think. Mm. So if people who are buying trainers off a website, people would say, yeah, but there's no loyalty if you're buying trainers off a website. Mm -hmm. Well, why do I only ever buy sketches? Even though I buy them on the internet, because I know sketches work for me, so I trust them. And so even though you get people buy from people based on trust, Okay, and loyalty is an element of trust and belief and all this sort of stuff. So I, I think that that loyalty element is still there. And, you know, you look at Maslow level three and four stuff where you've got tribe and you've got recognition in a tribe. Tribe's about loyalty. It's coalescing with a group of people who've got similar values to you, similar behavioral traits that you actually like mm -hmm. and you know, like, and trust and all this sort of stuff. So reliability, credibility, and likability, low levels of self-interest, that's the trust formula. So when you when you pack, pack all that up, if you trust someone, they tend to be loyal back. It's mm -hmm. almost the reciprocation of trust. Yeah. So I think it's still there. It might not be as visible to some people, but I think deep down, we've, we've been bred for hundreds and hundreds of thousands of years to be tribal people just because of the internet and social media and, you know, The Happy Sexy Millionaire, one of the most impactful books I read, Tom's yeah, read it, you both read it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, looking at someone who's sat on a super yacht si sipping champagne with a body to die for, if that's the norm, <laughs> <laughs> how many negative, you know, and that's what he says, there's a million kids clicking on that feeling yeah. substandard. Yeah. Well, they're feeling substandard because the same old tribal things come into play and the fact yeah. of you want to be recognised in the tribe, you want to be the same as everybody else. So loyalty is definitely still there. Yeah. And even when the, you know, the, the mass kids nicky bikes and all that, they hang around in a gang. Mm -hmm. Gangs mm -hmm. about loyalty. So it's absolutely still there, but it might just not be as visible. But using the tools to dig it out, ask questions, take a bit of time. Absolutely. Can we delve into that a little bit deeper in terms of how a, a leader or a business owner might actually I don't know, lift that sense of loyalty to sort of, I guess it's sort of like empowerment and communication that, but can you delve into how a business owner would sort of boost loyalty and, and create that environment? No. <laughs> <laughs> Do we have to pay for that? Yeah, that's extra. That's, uh, <laughs> we'll negotiate it. Um, <laughs> it comes back to what's in it for me, mm -hmm. 100%. Because fundamentally, survival, you know, level one and two is all about breathing, having a shelter and all that. That's all what's in it for yeah. me. Tribal and all that's the next level up. Well, as if you're not part, if you don't feel part of a tribe, then it comes down to what's in it for me. So yeah. taking time to understand what is in it for you, for your individuals. I mean, if you, the high performance book, you know, they talk about um, 
trinkets and external motivations being short term and not really long term, whereas internal motivations, the desire to do a good job, the desire mm -hmm. to build relationship, the desire to be recognized as whatever it is, they're long term motivators. And I think when you get into if you've got a team that are not loyal to you, you can either go two ways. You can go, why are you not loyal to me? Mm -hmm. What's that going to do? Where's the, word why again, where's the benefit? Absolutely. But what you can do is say, okay, guys, I'm sensing that we're not all bought in to whatever it is we're working towards. And then it's re-examining, seek to understand what mm -hmm. is it that's going to motivate you guys? And is there a pivot required? Is there a, you know, if... What's that old saying? Does it make the boat go faster? Sim mm. Single mm. unifying statement that whole teams use. And it's like everything I do should be. So you're loyal to that concept. You're loyal to the team. That, and you can see other people making the boat go faster. Mm -hmm. If they're not, then all of a sudden, does that loyalty and relationship, does it exist anymore? Because you're going to challenge it. Why are you doing that? Because it's not where everybody else is going. Just be more curious than... I think it's creating time. Time is yeah. a mass, massive enemy. It's, you know, flick rates, scrolling through mm -hmm. stuff. You mm -hmm. can, you can die in LinkedIn and, you know, and still <laughs> not get the quarter of a percent of the amount of useless posts about people's dogs <laughs> having a shit in die. the woods. It's like, I mean, sometimes LinkedIn does my head in, but it's that thing of going, let's create quality time. Give yourself permission to do, I mean, we're doing this. I've switched my phone off. I've got absolute attention on this. You know, yeah. I'm, but imagine sitting having a conversation with someone and they're looking at their phone, looking at their watch, mm -hmm. looking over your shoulder, and it's like, how long we got left? It, yeah. Yeah. They're not giving the, the, the quality of time. And I think, for me, we can make as much money as we want. We can do as many things as we want. It's up to us. But mm -hmm. we only have eight to ten good quality hours in a day. We're awake enough to make best use of it mm -hmm. and enjoy it. And I think... People don't recognize that that finite resource is the most valuable commodity we've got. Yeah. So I think it's making time to listen and asking the right questions within that time, yes, but it's actually the undivided attention and people appreciate that. I like that. And that's really powerful. I'm going to sort of wrap this up to a quite a, a, a big overarching question in two sections. What are three things that you're noticing at the minute that business owners are doing wrong that could be better? And three things or three tips that you could offer to a new startup or a new business that I'm definitely not asking from a personal selfish point of view. <laughs> so that's six things, Ad. Yes. Okay. Wow. hundred quid each. <laughs> <laughs> just, just three really quick points for each. So what okay. businesses are doing wrong? And, yeah. Okay. So let's start with what they're doing wrong. For me, um, businesses don't have those three things clear in place. They don't have clarity of vision because they think vision – Mission and values is for someone else and not really. But when you associate vision, mission and values, every top company in the world and every successful small company coming through has that absolutely nailed down. They don't spend the time investing in, you know, who gives a shit about a one-to-one -one every year? What's all that about? <laughs> you know, Marshall Goldmiss talks about leadership being a contact sport. How is that yeah. a contact sport? You know, you should be touching your guys every week, every month, every day if necessary mm -hmm. to basically get a guide on how they're feeling, you know, how they're delivering that sort of stuff. Yeah. So engagement with people. And then I've walked into thousands of businesses with really well-structured dashboards, numbers to celebrate success, X over Y. 
Oh, no, I haven't actually. Everybody, every <laughs> business I walk into doesn't have any numbers and they go, oh yeah, I've got a P&L. Wow. Okay. So you're managing your business by looking at your bank account every three months and you've got a P&L that a remote accountant produces you three weeks after the month end. <laughs> That's really useful. You know, if you can have, let's say, sales per engineer per day and you know on day one or day two mm -hmm. that what the rollout's going to be for the whole month and is that going to achieve your target, then you take action on day three and day four to get that back on track. So that would be the things I think are going wrong. Mm -hmm. There's no, there's little leadership or clarity on where it's going. There's little in, uh, investment and engagement with the team, and people don't know what good looks like because they haven't got a robust number set. Interesting. And I think if you take all those three things as a startup, mm -hmm. then exactly the same applies. Okay. Because what's going wrong in a lot of businesses is what's going wrong in most businesses that start up. Because um, you know, Emith revisited the three circles, the three personalities: the technician, the entrepreneur, and the manager. Mm -hmm. People don't do that. They dump straight in, jump straight into the technician role and they're doing, 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 doing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then they go, then their clients disappear and the more they finished. And then it's like, oh, 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 hunting and farming. It's the same old thing. Mm -hmm. But the reality is the most, the strongest businesses at startup, um, the business owner or the person who's looking to start the business should build a business from the outside. Okay. 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 First thing is build an organogram of what you want this business to look like. Second thing is put a positional contract in for each of those roles, given the industry, what you're trying to achieve. ChatGPT can help you with that, folks. Um, <laughs> and then what you've got is a structure. So it's like building a house. You get an architect mm -hmm. in first rather than, I'm going to build a house, and the first thing you buy is a wheelbarrow and, a, and <laughs> some bricks. And that's why a lot of people build a business. They build a business from the inside. You know, they're wallpapering a room and there's no roof on it. They're putting a window in and there's no foundations. So build a business from the outside. And if you've got the money, recruit the people first in the key roles mm -hmm. before you do anything. And those people will absolutely. So if it's, if, you know, if you've got a lead stream and you've got a business operating, get two or three operators in, keep out the technician bubble. Mm -hmm. If you've got a business idea and it, but it needs marketing and selling, invest in marketing and sales first. Don't do it yourself, steward mm -hmm. it. And then you can steward the delivery and then you could steward the financial control. Stay above your business and out of it. Why do you think entrepreneurs, genuine entrepreneurs, are able to start three, four, five, 10, 15 different businesses? Mm. Not because they're doing the businesses from the inside, but they're doing the businesses from the outside. Mm -hmm. And I think everybody's got the opportunity to start a business from the outside. Mm -hmm. You know, all you need is a couple of quid. And mm -hmm. admittedly, if you haven't got a pot to piss in, yeah, it's a bit more difficult. But if you have got the money to invest in someone for a couple of months, get them to do some specific deliverables, 50 leads a week, you know, £1,000 worth of sale a month or whatever. Mm -hmm. That will make your business scalable. That will actually make you a business owner rather than someone who's self-employed. Interesting. That's, that's really, really good. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> that was really insightful. So I guess the next podcast will be done by somebody else, will it? Yeah. <laughs> Other than you, Anne. <laughs> Just sat in the corner with me a cup of coffee. <laughs> You'll be outside driving your Range Rover around <laughs> looking for the next business. <laughs> it's, it's been really, really great. Tom, have you got anything that you want to add or ask? I think there's lots lots in I there. I think we could be we, here all day. We could literally <laughs> be here all day. But are you happy? Yeah, really yeah. happy, yeah. Cool. Um, is there anything you want to go through, Lawrence? No, that's it. Thank you. That has been quite enjoyable. That, uh, this script is brilliant. I hope it didn't <laughs> rustle too much as we were talking. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was, it was so good talking to you. It was so good having you on. So thank you for taking the time. Really appreciate it. If, uh, if people want to reach out and get in touch with you, where, where can they find you, basically? 
Uh, well, come through you guys, probably yeah. the easiest way. And then what you can do is filter their information, take it as a lead, and run with it as a as a marketing opportunity at the same time. <laughs> He's literally just delegated. <laughs> he literally just <laughs> delegated his own lead generation right there. Perfect. <laughs> oh, and by the way, people who don't get in touch, give me their information. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, thanks again, and it's been a pleasure. We'll have to get you on sometime in the future. No problem at all, guys. Thanks very Cheers, much. Cheers, Lawrence. Cheers, bud. Thank you.